a person who cheating. Well, yeah, a person who's person who's engaged in uh, lustful activities. Yeah. And this guy, he he never. What it says is he never. There was no harlot that he hadn't visited. That that's how. Uh, that's what it says. And he found out that there was this one expensive, really expensive prostitute that charged like a whole like uh, sack of like gold coins uh, at the other end of the world. And so he, uh, this story's about to get stranger. And he says that he walks and he walks across seven rivers. There were seven rivers separating him and her. And, and, uh, and he gave her the money and whatever. And then afterwards, okay, story gets even stranger. Afterwards, uh, how do you say this in a polite way? Uh-oh. Trying to think of a polite way to say this. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Eric. Good to see you. How you doing? Get some food, man. Okay, afterwards, this is what it says. She passes gas. I'm not kidding. That's what it says. <laughs> Thank you. And then she tells him, just like um, that gas that just will never return to its source, so too you will never return to your source. I.e., you will never repent. You'll never become an upstanding member of society. And he got all shaken up and all inspired in the story. And he says, uh, so he went and he sat between two mountains and he started praying. And what did he say? First, he says, Hills and mountains, pray that I should have that. Pray that there should be mercy, that I should be able to repent. And the hills, he's like, he's like asking the hills and the mountains to be his benefactors and pray for him. And they say, no, 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 let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for ourselves. Heaven and earth, pray for me. He says, no, 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 no. heaven and earth, respond. Uh, we have to pray for ourselves. Uh, sun and the moon, pray for me. No, no, let's pray for ourselves. Stars and constellations, pray for me. We have to pray for ourselves. And then he says, the matter only depends upon me. If I'm going to improve myself, no one's going to help me, right? I can't rely on the hills. I can't rely on the oceans. I can't rely on the sun. I can't rely on anything. It's only up to me. And he says that he puts his um, head between his knees and he started just crying and then he died. That's the story. And then there was a uh, pro- proclamation of prophecy uh, that says that this fellow, his name was Eliezer ben Dudoy, this was his name, he's destined uh, for life in the world to come. Uh, he, he repented and he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's, you know, he's free of sin. Okay, that's the story. And then one of the rabbis, whose name was just Rabbi, right? A rabbi whose name is Rabbi. One called, you know, Rebbe. The, yeah, Rebbe. It's in the entire Talmud, you've just, he's famous Rebbe Judah the Prince. Right, was friendly with uh, with the emperor of Rome, uh, Marcus Aurelius, I believe. He was friends with him, and he heard the story and he started crying. And he said the following statement: One may acquire eternal life after many years; another in a single hour. Please, some people sweat the whole life to try to achieve perfection, and this one guy got it. In a mere instant, in one episode, one day, one hour. That's the story. And um, all the commentaries, ever trying to find out, find out what it means, what the lessons are, what the story is, what the meaning. It's a fascinating story. You heard the whole story, Eric? 
You familiar with it? And turns out, so this is so my Harusa tells me, he's like, wait a minute. There's two other places in the Talmud, two other places in the Talmud, where it says the same exact line. That some people acquire their world in a mere instant, while other people's have to take them a long, long time. So I was intrigued by these by these particular episodes. So I printed out these particular episodes, and I wanted to do I wanted to do a collaborative effort to try to examine these three stories. Two also similar, very interesting stories, and I have it all written out over here. What I wanted to do is I want to I want to figure out what is I want to unlock the key that um, that these three stories have in common. It's, again, three stories about three individuals who had some sort of epiphany, had some sort of paradigm shift, something just clicked, and then they died for whatever reason. Each one of them had their own way that they died. And then there was this proclamation of prophecy. This person is welcome into the world to come. And the same stories that Rebbe or Rabbi started crying. Some people spend their entire life trying to reach perfection. And these guys did it in a mere instant. I want to try to figure out um, what do these three stories have in common? Because I, 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 it cannot be that these stories are isolated. It can't be that these are just, you know, are these three. Two stories? What? Is this true story? I don't know if it's a true story. No. Either yes or no. It's true that it's written in it. Yeah, it's true that it's part of the Talmud. So there's certainly a lesson. There's certainly a lesson uh, inherent in the story. Um, is it literal? Um, maybe yes, maybe no. The Talmud was written. Obviously, it was written in, uh, in eight, the year. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Two hundred or so. Two hundred guess. Eighty. What is Eric? When was it written? Well, is it relevant when it was written? It was written in the year five hundred. Oh, five hundred. The Talmud. Oh. The Mishnah was written in the year two hundred one eighty more precisely. Oh, okay. But um, so strange that you'll have these stories and, and try to figure out what the lesson is and, 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 and what does it mean? It means some people struggle their whole life to achieve something. It's like it's like winning the lottery. You know? How how frustrating is it for people that sw- you know that, that you know that just work their whole life. Sweat and eighteen hour days and seven day weeks and no family and no nothing, you know, to make their money and then one guy who's totally unemployed with no skills and you know can't you know and they always win the lottery. And they just boom. And just have it all in one second. And then they spend it all in there. Oh, yeah. But I want to try to figure out, like, the mechanics of how, like, on a spiritual level, there are things that we could spend years trying to accomplish. And there are things that could just happen like that, with one act, with one, one, one heroism, with one, you know, one act or one instance could define a person. Generally, when you look at people, right, who, um, you look at someone who's not known for his piety or not known for his character, and then you see something, they do an incredible act of goodwill. Generally, that won't change your opinion on them. So you have to understand why does someone act at a character. But generally, when people when people have uh, a, you know a certain method of, of, of behavior, the, the, this, the, the way they act, you know, the, the most common uh, character 
One act's not going to change that. But somehow in these three stories, we'll find out that there's these three individuals who were unremarkable, wholly unremarkable. One of them was obviously, um, one of them was uh, actually, you know, quite, quite the philanderer. Uh, but, uh, and, and like that, in one instance, one epiphany, something switched, something clicked, and he's a different man. Well, if there's a commitment to completely change yourself, then... It would change your status. But he didn't have a chance to be a different man. He just died. He made, he made the... Oh, well, that's a good question. Why did he die? Did someone shoot him? Was he in a bad neighborhood? <laughs> like, was this in Detroit? What happened? Like, it doesn't say anything like that, right? It just says that he died. It's a great question. Why did he die? It seems like that's, that's part of the story. No, but like what you're saying, if you see someone that you don't... that you know is not such a good person, but he suddenly does one thing... Good, it won't change your opinion of him. But if he, you wouldn't know. But maybe he's doing it good because he totally changed his whole life. Yeah, I think that that the point that Brown broke, the fact that he died, that's very important to the story. What do you say? I think it, that differentiates between just like a single act of like goodwill, or you know, somebody doing a, a one eighty, and all of a sudden, like they're uh, a terrible person their whole lives, and all of a sudden they like. Walk the lady across it. I think it's this, it's the 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 significance of of how the like the the, the true the trueness of of that acceptance. Does that make, I don't know if that makes sense. Like I think there's obviously like varying levels of how true that acceptance is of like trying to turn things around. What I think you're saying is that, tell me if I'm correct, that it's not just the perception of this person has changed. Right. But it's, they really change. means generally, there's only one way to change. So if you want to lose a bad habit, how do you lose a bad habit? It means eventually, it's like through attrition, right? Right. You know? Uh, hi, I'm Yakov, and I'm alcoholic. Right. Right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you're yeah. and I'm an alcoholic, and there's 12 steps, and you're always in danger of reverting back to who you are. And you sure. don't really change. It's just you know, um, that is generally how it is. Somehow in these three stories, that whole that all all so thing like, changed. It, it, like, seems, it seems like it was accepted, so he didn't need to necessarily live to prove or warrant this change in his life. You know? He didn't need to live because the commitment was so strong. The commitment was the, the, the intent, the true, the, the trueness of that acceptance was so strong that he didn't need to like live it out to prove. To or him. maybe could we say that he had such a tremendous shift, internal shift of identity? I mean, I mean this this change that happened within him was so strong and so impactful that he just died because this is a, like a new, like he had a new. Persona inhabiting him, he it means it's it's just was too dramatic. It was like he had like a life transplant. See, the problem with, because, like you said, if someone wants to change, they make an effort. They're going to get tested. So this guy said, "Okay, I'm going to change. I'm going to repent." But he did. He got along about in 
one out, right? But he never really got tested for it. He really never proved himself whether he changed his whole personality or his whole habitual pattern. He never really well, who says you have to be tested for it? If you're there, why do you need to be tested? Well, okay, but no, no, but when Abraham got tested, this is the point. Abraham didn't use this model of change. Abraham did not use, Abraham used the standard model of change, which is you start at point A and you do a few small steps and you get a point B, right? And those small steps comprise of tests, challenges, right? And you get to point B and you move on to point C and you move on to point D and eventually, eventually you reach the top of the mountain. That means the tests are not just to measure the change, but rather to provoke the change, to bring about the change. Does that make any sense? But you can't have to prove the change. How do you climb a spiritual mountain? How do you climb a spiritual ladder? What is every rung? Every rung is another test. Every rung is another challenge. Every rung, you have to overcome something. So, right? It's like it's also with every other. So maybe maybe for her show, this was good enough. Well, but only for this guy. For this point. For this guy, it it was good enough now I'm gonna take you away. I don't know, but I don't know why, why he he died. I, but I also think like like we can take, we can we can move the spirituality out of it and say like with relationships, right? You meet someone new and you don't know who they are. You don't know anything about them. You're you may be you may be intrigued, but you're skeptical and you don't know if that person is an axe murderer. We don't know anything about them, right? <laughs> um, and you build a relationship slowly. Like trust builds really slowly and. Um, uh, uh, like a like a relationship should the the I always tell people one of my pet peeves, which I have a lot of pet peeves. I have like a whole like pet store of peeves. <laughs> one of my pet peeves is that when people are getting married, it's like they're looking forward to the marriage, like that that wedding, and they do the reception. It's all about the wedding. That drives me nuts. And no one's thinking about the post wedding. No one's thinking about the next 70, 80, 90, or hundred years. Right? It's all about that one wedding day, which is. It doesn't matter. You're married regardless whether or not you have a fancy wedding or not or what the invitations look like. Who cares about that? It's all about the relationship because it's, it's the, the, the marriage is the first step or one of the first steps in building this relationship. But that's the way it always is because there's a relationship should constantly deepening. Generally, in our society, the, the peak of the relationship is, when the, is, is, is the wedding and then they spend the next four or five years unraveling that and, and, uh, <laughs> and they wake up and say, who are you? <laughs> not who are you uh, give me th- I, I have the kids and your house and your car what are you but that's the way it is but like I said you want to have a relationship uh, the, the way the, the way the structure of how a relationship works is that you're constantly building upon every step is, an, is, a, is a deepening of the relationship it gets better and better and better and it's like that with anything you want to build a business it's step after step hard work you want to grow spiritually you want to change any characteristic, step after step after step. And somehow in this case, or in these three stories, I was able to do it in one second. Is it, is it a fair question to say, is it possible that in terms of you know, this, this issue of being tested, yeah. that some people, they're in life, that their test, you know, I think the, 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 it's the same test for everybody, essentially, but... The way you're tested is very different than the way I'm tested. Personalized. It's, it's all personalized. Individualized. So maybe for this guy, Mr. Dorda over here, Dordia over here. No, maybe like maybe it, it, it goes back to this intensity. Like maybe his was 
boom, one shot. This is your one shot only to do you know to, to do it right. Make the right decision. Make the right do the right. And this is your one shot. Basically, versus other people, it's kind of it's kind of like playing poker. He was all in. He had one shot, and it was it was one with the other. He could have heard what this woman said and just like turned around and walked away. Well, yeah, it's obviously it's obviously an amazing story. Right. Um, so, but what he did was amazing. Was a very. Is it possible that everyone gets that one opportunity? No. It's possible. It's not for sure. Is a interpretation of. Yeah, but the Talmud has two parts. I don't get into this, so yeah, right. I can't speak for three hours. Lord knows, can speak for three hours. But, right. but the Talmud is half halacha, which is law, and half agarata, which is ethics. And generally, and that's where this is. Yes, it's in the form of stories, of parables, lessons, sayings, idioms. Right. That that's what it is. So this 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 particular portion now in these Talmud, three stories. They're the three distinct stories in three separate places. All of them following a similar timeline. Someone having some sort of change in, 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 in life perspective. Dying. And then this incredible proclamation, this prophecy, that this person is welcome to Olam Abba. And then followed by Rebbe, Rabbi, Judah the Prince, right? Uh, by him crying and saying, everyone has to work their whole life to achieve this. And these people were achieve, were, um, achieved it in one hour. Which... And which which made us it seems it seems to indicate that the general process of change of improvement right of development that we're all used to like uh, Eric brought nisiono nisiono means 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 uh, means uh, uh, challenges for tests uh, and in, in the midrash it says nisayon achar nisayon didulin achar didulin what that means is. One challenge after another challenge, and one growth spurt after another growth spurt. Means the idea of challenges and growth go together in Judaism. We, we view a challenge as, as a growth opportunity, right? One step up. We don't believe in jumping runs and you fall down, right? Everything, everything in moderation, right? You know, over over time, you'll see improvement. You know, if you spend forty days trying to do something uh, consistently, you'll be able to do it, right? If you have a hard time waking up in the morning at the proper time, right? Uh, and I'm looking at myself, <laughs> not uh, anyone else. Um, but you do it for 40 days, it'll become second habit to you, right? If you have anger problems, so do an exercise, an anti-anger exercise for 40 days, and you'll integrate it in your system. But it's always a slow buildup, slow process. That's how we work. Somehow, these guys figured out to take a, a way to take a spiritual shortcut, a way to just avoid avoid having to go through that uh, attrition that's the right word hmm. but attrition in order to build their the, you know their spiritual makeup to 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 have tremendous change in a short amount of time and the uh, previous other story uh, so this, this is a, but you're you're making the assumption that they they cha- i mean they don't know what duty what the belief is in the afterlife you know when you know what happens in heaven yeah which we spoke about, uh, but who, who's to say that they're not changing? You know, not changing what? After you know, with in the no. presence of God, what we clearly, clearly in Judaism, we clearly believe that once you're dead, you can't improve. Absolutely, you cannot. You cannot change. You only have one chance. That's a so long as you're alive. You can improve in your in your uh, in another lifetime, though. 
Well, if if resuscitation, I know. But but reincarnation aside, reincarnation aside, unless you're alive and breathing on planet Earth, right, yeah. with a soul and a body, you cannot improve. That's for sure. No, I just thought yeah. that when, uh, when uh, from what you were saying, I remember you had mentioned this before that you know we have several lifetimes. And well, then, I mean, whenever, I mentioned when, when I spoke about we don't accomplish when a I certain spoke, goal. Yeah, when I spoke about that's not a good thing. You don't want to have to come back to the when I spoke about what happened to that one time. Your goal is to actually oh, yeah. your brother that that is change. Change. Uh, if you want to, uh, don't ever confuse anything I say for my brother says. No, but no, but the point of matter is our goal is to reach Allah Maba. We don't want to be to come back, but but we if we don't complete our mission, we have to come back again. And we, every, all our what's the point? What's the point? Though? You have to be alive to change. That's that's for sure. How do we know that they change? Like, how, oh, 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 so that's a good point. Yeah. How, how do we know? The point is like this: if there's a prophecy that they're welcome into the world to come, means that's an obvious indicator that they really did change. Okay. Means there's 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 a you know there's how we view someone and how God views someone. We could view someone as being, uh, like, I don't know how many times you've ever encountered scandals in your life, or if ever. But if you ever, like, met someone who was, like, really nice and really cool, and, like, a few years later you read the news that they were arrested for something, like, really bad. or something. Oh, Bezman's not so bad, but... Uh, I had someone for like I didn't know him that well. He was just a co-worker. <laughs> so... And? With a mustache and a white man? No. <laughs> <laughs> Around the face. I worked with him maybe a few times, so I didn't know him very well. But then, like, one night like, there was a news story, and there was a guy with that name who had molested a couple of boys. Oh. <laughs> and, and, and because we, we don't really know what other people are going through. We don't know what we don't know how other people really are. Right. You don't really know. But God does really know. Right. Right? And if, if there's a prophecy that says that this person achieved what they need to achieve in this in life. life. It means that they actually did it. And they actually internally became different people. But somehow they managed to do it in a much more expeditious way than what we need to do. But maybe it's just enough for, for God, like I said. Maybe it was enough. What's the whole point of all these stories? Because it's not practical. No. Why not? Why is it not practical? Well, how do you do it then? I mean, do you just... I think the whole point is that it just says there's hope at the last hour. Well, that's, that's a good lesson, that's, anyhow. I see it differently. I mean, I, I see like I mean, I think it goes back to like the whole concept of it's all the same. It's all the, we're all we're all going to the same. We're all meeting the same end. Like we're, we're all, everybody, everybody dies, and regardless of how much time we're given, the the goal is to you know live a good life and sort of all, all these things, and you know. You could be the literally the scum of the earth, worst person ever, doing terrible things. But if you if you and it goes back, I think to, the, to that intent. If you wake up and you say and you do that one eighty, that all in. What like what's different than somebody like that who than somebody who like has led a good life the whole I mean, studied the Torah? It, like, it, it, yeah. Basically, like they, they both end up at the same point. They both end up being. Good, wholesome, moral 
people, what have you. It's just one, 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 one. I think, I think, so, you know, sure. I think, someone who's working their entire so, life towards a goal is way on a higher level than someone who says, that's it, God, I repent, I'm fine. Well, actually, it's funny because what what he's saying. When I saw I saw the commentary, so the, the famous commentary, the Maharsha. Google it if you never heard of it. Maharsha. He says exactly your saying. He says the reason why Rebbe is crying, or Rabbi, the reason why the Rabbi is crying is because these guys, yeah, they achieved something, but they did it in one hour's worth, and it has value, but one hour's worth's value. While other people, they have years and years worth um, worth of uh, you know accrued effort. To you know, to bring that to bring with them, and I, I think you're right, but I think there's room to argue, and, and, I, and I, I, I kind of think. Well, Jared Casey, listen, yeah. there takes one hour or a lifetime. At least it's, got to the it's like a ball game, right? We don't we don't look at the score at halftime and say, "Oh, right. Super Bowl champions." Yeah. We look at what 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 is the score when the you know when the clock hit triple zero. No, no, That's no, what matters. What about what I mean? This is maybe like a, 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 I don't know how this works, but like what about children, like. What if you have like a really bad, like an evil kid, you know, he like picks on the other kids and all this stuff, whatever it is. And like internally, like he, he, that true sense of, you know, I need to be a better person. Boom, the kid dies, like a 10 year old kid. Like, I mean, what, what, what's the, I, I don't see the argument necessarily for time. Well, actually, I don't know. Like, uh, I could, uh, is it, I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you say. Wait, can you repeat the question? I understand. No, like my, my question is like, I think a big concept is, is time. What I understand, until we reach the age of, was it 13, Bar Mitzvah, I mean, yeah. technically, we are not really, sure. our behaviors, our actions, whatever we sure. do, are not really our own right. doing. Right. I mean, we're not and really by the way, responsible. for those of us who have kids... It's a good thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> they would not survive the, uh, the yeah. cross examination. <laughs> yeah. So the point of the matter is that's what this, that's why they say, like when you have a bar about mitzvah, right? And you well, then never mind thirteen. Well, why can't you just be bad your whole life and say, oh, one day I'll just you know fix it all up? Because it, uh, somebody like yeah, not, I feel like I, I feel like somebody like that. It's always not spontaneous. Your planning is the. First of all, I'll tell you, it's like this. If you take a look at the Talmud at the end of, of Tractate Yoma, right, we know that uh, everyone's familiar with the idea of Yom Kippur, right? The day of repentance, the day where we where we get, we all get a, a you know a clean slate, right? The day where everyone's you know the, 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 all the Jewish people's sins collectively are wiped away. And we know that in Jude, you know in from a historical perspective, we always look at Yom Kippur as the secret for Jewish continuity. You know, 2,000 years ago, we were a million people, right? And then we were exiled, and they had expulsions and pogroms and inquisitions and crusades and blood libels and, and endlessly. And somehow we're still around as a, as a unified people. Uh, also, with a tiny amount of number, without, you know, without, a, without any central authority, without having... Really, a common language or a land? Nothing. So, how did we survive? So, from a spiritual perspective, we say, "Listen, the reason why we survived is because every Yom Kippur we have a clean slate. So, we never build up the spiritual dreck or the spiritual um, 
schmutz, that's the right word. The spiritual, uh, the spiritual. <laughs> we never build up that, 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 that spiritual, that spiritual, um, dirt, blemishes or, right, uh, shortcomings that would, you know, that would warrant the Jewish people. I mean, look about it. You have the Mesopotamians, you have the, uh, Babylonians, great empires that were dominant, controlled the entire world, right? The Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Ottomans, controlled the entire world, the entire known world, Europe, Asia, everything. And they're all gone. And somehow the tiny little Jewish nation, right, who, you know, marginalized physically, economically, in every way, socially, uh, weren't allowed kicked out of every country in Europe, were, uh, were expelled from England, France, Germany, Austria, everywhere, right? Dealt with exile, expulsion, pogrom, and holocaust. And somehow we're still around. How are we still around when everyone else is done? Yeah, because Christians and Muslims, you're taking this... Israel is very different than any other nation. Like, we're a very religion-based nation compared to... No. Israel is? No, I'm saying compared to other cultures that are there. And there's always but even Christianity and Islam, they, they split into multiple factions, right? Even the, as, at what, at the, at the onset of, of, of Islam, you have, you know, the split between the Sunnis and the Shiites who hate each other's guts, right? Who, you know, they hate that more than they hate the Jews, right? Oh, well, I don't know if that's technically, technically true. Equally. Huh? Different topic, yeah. But the point is, is that it's remarkable that the Jews have survived for so long. And we say as one nation. As one nation, unified, with no no place to live. Well, unified to a degree. But, but uh, the point is, is that there's two reasons why, but one reason is is that because we have the Yom Kippur, we have the refresh button. And I don't remember how we got to this. The what? I don't remember how we got refresh to this. Refresh button. Oh, no, no, trace it back. I don't remember how we got to this uh, point. Uh, you're saying you can do whatever you want. Do it's it's oh. oh, so oh, so at the end of Tractate Yoma, it says that if someone says, "Hey, listen, right now, it's just after Yom Kippur, I have a whole other year to worry about. I can do whatever I want, right? And I know Yom Kippur will come around, and I'll repent, and everything will be fun and dandy." So that person, Yom Kippur doesn't work for them. Yeah. If if Yom Kippur is contingent on the fact that when you committed the uh, misdeed. You weren't saying, oh, I'll rely on your people to do it. So you can't say, oh, I'll do whatever I want in the end of my life. Plus, how do you know when you're going to die? You don't know when you're going to die. And plus, in every step you take further away, it's harder to get back. You know, look at the Jewish people today, right? On a collective scale, right? The further away they get from their Judaism, the harder it's to bring them back. You know how many Jews are in Houston that never saw the inside of a shul? Thousands upon thousands. Thousands upon thousands. Jews in Houston that never saw the inside of the shul. Can't tell you what, can't read the, can't read any Hebrew, don't know anything about Judaism. But they're Jewish. And their children will be even one step further. And yeah, and it's much, much harder to bring them back to 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 having a strong Jewish identity. Much, much every step further away, it's you know, t- you know, twice as hard to get back. It's, it's really unfortunate. But we still haven't figured it out. Did everyone read the other two stories, by the way? Nah. Did anyone? Oh, did anyone? No. You did? Okay, so the first story is... The second one's the best, right? That's why I started over there. Well, that's what I was familiar with. Um, so there was a Caesar who hated the Jews, and he says to everyone, I'm going to kill the Jews. 
Yeah. And then this guy, one of his advisors, Ketia ben Shalom, he said, hey, you can't kill the Jews, because then he brings some sort of proof that you can't kill the Jews. And the uh, seer says, well, you're right, I can't kill the Jew, can't kill the Jews, uh, but I'm going to kill you, because you stood up to me, and I'm, and I'm the emperor. So, um, he, as he's being led to the circular furnace where he's going to be killed, some Roman matron screams out to him, he says, hey, Pity the ship that sails without paying the taxes. Which means, basically, you are giving up your life for the Jews and you're not even Jewish. Right? You're like uh, being a martyr for some other people. Ridiculous. Uh, so then he, he throwing himself on his foreskin, he cut it away, exclaiming, I now pay the tax. Basically, he, he, gave, himself he gave himself a circumcision. He's like, oh, now I'm kind of Jewish. Right? I sort of hit a part of the Jewish people, so to speak. Well, not really, I and then he said, threw him into the fire, and as he got in the fire, he made a proclamation, all my possessions are going to Rabbi Akiva and his friends. And then, once again, the same exact story, we have the prophecy proclaiming him to be part of uh, the afterlife, uh, and Rebbe, uh, or Rabbi lamenting the fact that there are some people able to do it so fast, other people have to work so hard. And the last story, also I think a great story, uh, also, talking about the Hadrianic persecutions, right? Ever familiar with the Emperor Hadrian? The year 117, right? Rome, Roman Empire, Great Roman Empire. I only know the dates because I'm teaching the history, Jewish uh, history class. But basically, you have the Emperor Hadrian who takes over control of the Roman Empire in the year 117 of the Common Era. And he makes what's known as the Hadrianic persecutions. He makes lots of laws um, curtailing the Jewish people's ability to exercise the religion. He says, you're not allowed to have uh, circumcision. You're not allowed to keep the Shabbat. You're not allowed to study Torah. Right? Very similar to what the Greeks did, right? The Greeks, uh, uh, Ptolemy, they, you know, during the times of Hanukkah. Um, uh, Ptolemy or Antiochus, sorry, Antiochus. Uh, Ptolemy was someone else. Huh? Titus. Well, oh, Titus is the Roman, Titus is the Roman, Titus is the Roman general who destroyed the, the temple. No. Titus is the son of Vespasian. Roman general destroyed the, uh, yeah, the year 70 or 68, depends which historical happened during the time of the Second Yeah, Hanukkah happened the year 167 before the Common Era. Under Greek, right? Assyrian Greek, to be precise. As we know, uh, you know, when Alexander the Great died in the year 323 before the Common Era, his, <laughs> his empire was split into three different, right, three different yep. Macedonian yeah. Greeks, Assyrian Greeks, and the Egyptian Greeks. The Ptolemites, the Assyrians and the Macedonians, or Greek proper. This is one of the Assyrian Right. Anyhow, so Hadrian in 117, under the Great Roman Empire, he assumes emperorship and he uh, makes lots of rules pertaining to the ability to practice religion. And that brought about the Bar Kokhba revolt of the year 132, and we're familiar with that because if you've been to Israel and you've seen Israeli coinage, you've seen images that they found on the coins that were minted after Barcoffa revolt succeeded in getting rid of the Roman Empire for three years and they minted their own coins, which is a big deal in ancient society, right? So during the 400 years of, of Roman domination of the known world, you have a three-year period where the Israeli, where the Jews, led by Barcoffa, were able to uh, get rid of the Romans and... Uh, have sovereignty and have independence. But, uh, so, anyhow, this story happens during the Hadrian persecution. So, if, so anyone who was caught teaching Torah, 
they would kill them. Hmm? Which made the Jews so incensed, and they would go. So who, who, I'm saying, okay, so who is the one who decided to uh, cut his foreskin? So? That's a different story. Also, oh, wait, oh wait, I thought we were talking we're about on the last story. We're on the last one. Oh, so okay. I was like reading this part. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. They found Reb Hanina ben Tradion. He was sitting and studying Torah. Oh, and <laughs> and publicly gathering assemblies, keeping the scroll of the law in his bosom. Uh, so they took hold of him and wrapped him in a scroll of Torah. And they put bundles of branches and set him on fire. Basically, they're trying to kill him in a really brutal way. And to make things worse, they put uh, these pieces of wool, soaked it in water, and placed it upon his heart so that he shouldn't die quickly. Basically, they wanted to torment him for longer so and torture him by prolonging his agony so they, they prevented it by putting wool soaked in water on his heart so the, the fire wouldn't uh, engulf him, wouldn't kill him so quickly. Um, his daughter says, uh, I feel so terrible that I'm seeing you like this. He says, no, it's not so bad. I'm with the Torah. The Torah's the Torah is suffering with me. It's like my, uh, you know, it comforts me. And then his disciples say, uh, what do you see? And he says, well, I see the letters flying into the ear. And they say, why don't you die quickly? What? It's just a vision of this. How can anyone have a conversation with someone going through this? Right? You just think about it. This guy's on fire. There's no absolutely no way that they can have a conversation. Like, the daughter's there. And, and just, is there anything that's coming This is the, one of the greatest, uh, like, right? someone very... <laughs> okay, wait. Is so this metaphorical? Huh? It's possible. I don't. We don't know what is metaphorical. What's not metaphorical? Wait, well, why not? If it's a small fire, and he's not. Let's, let's say he's uh, racking, and everyone's there, and it's a really quick conversation. He's like, and and his daughter's like, oh, I haven't seen you. This is like a total with me. I'm saying, is it possible? Okay, uh, you know. Remember, it's possible that there was. Uh, a glacier over the Sahara. It's possible. It's hard to imagine how it was, but it's possible, right? I don't know. <laughs> okay. And then a student says, hey, why don't you open your mouth so the fire should consume you? He says, no. And then the executioner says to him, uh, Rabbi, if I raise the flame, which indicates that it wasn't such a big flame, uh, and I take away the tufts of wool, will you cause me to enter the world to come? He says yes, so he swore to him, and the uh, executioner raised the flame, took off the wool, and uh, Rabbi Hanina ben Tradion died right away. And the executioner himself jumped into the into the fire, and he also died. And like previously, there was this prophecy: he is a portion one to come. And Rabbi Rebbe is uh, crying because some people acquire uh, eternal life. One instant, while others have to struggle for years and years to do it. And the Rebbe is crying because of Yeah, it. all three stories. All three, well, is it sad? It's, it's yeah. absolutely clear that it's, he's sad. He's crying. That's what, that's what is clear. So is this 100% uh, literal? I don't know. Is it uh, is it uh, metaphorical? It's possible. Well, certainly it's a lesson either way, right? Otherwise we wouldn't have been told that. Now, so there's one question that Eric asked. How is it possible? There's other lots of this is... By the way, when if you ever hear a Talmudic or a halakhic discussion on on uh, euthanasia, right, mercy killing, this is the source. This is the number one source that everyone brings up. This massive, massive problem from a halakhic perspective on the story. How did Rav Nimr try to agree 
to have his death be expedited. That is euthanasia. Does Judaism believe in euthanasia, really? A lot of people get really upset about that. Right? We have a doctor in the house. <laughs> well, that's for another time. But, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of opening the floor. What does everyone think? You see three stories, three people that seem to, well, if not, if not martyr themselves for a good cause, will certainly dedicate themselves or challenge themselves in a great way. Um, and I think probably more specifically, we see people that are willing to make major, major life changes and and, and, and abide by them to the end. It's this executioner, when he woke up that day, he was any one of the, you know, he was any one of the other mercenaries that were working for the Romans at the time. That's what he was. And then he made a strong decision to say, no, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to, uh, obliged by the tyranny, and I'm going to stand up. I'm going to have my Paul Revere moment. Mm-hmm. Right? At the end, only, I mean, it was only a minute to the end. So it was only what? There's no, only like a minute until his end. So well, the moment that... He doesn't really get to live it out. Well, there's so, so, much, so, so much more so. Do, so. He was so, he was so, he was so he, engulfed by his decision. If, if, if he hadn't, if he didn't truly change, he would have asked the rabbi, you know, if I expedite the fire, we let me in, whatever, whatever, and then he would have never jumped in. Yes, yeah, so and he would have jumped in. No. Like he would have well, said, you know, well, maybe he jumped in because he didn't want to screw it up. Because he could have achieved a spiritual plateau and then, like you said, maybe if he was challenged. That's a very good point because, yeah. because you're not allowed to kill yourself. Sure. So much so that if um, that in, 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 in Maimonides, in the laws of murder, he says that someone who commits suicide is a murderer. And just because you killed yourself doesn't mean you didn't kill someone. You're a murderer. And he, he's viewed as such. So yes, it is very, very peculiar. It is very peculiar. Um, yeah, if you commit suicide, you're a murderer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even if... Uh... <laughs> What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because um, I was telling this to someone on a totally separate uh, topic, but uh, we know that we are we're obligated to save someone. Someone, you see someone who's in a, in a life uh, compromising situation, they need, you need to be, you need, you're obligated to do anything to save the person, right? That the building collapses, someone, you be on Shabbat, you people, you have to clear away of the call of the cops, you have to do everything, you have everything, everything uh, that you could possibly do to save someone. Uh, but what if someone's committing suicide? If someone jumps off a building and then they're on the bottom, they lay down, they, they fall off the building and they're writhing on the floor and they're they're still alive. Are you obligated to save that person? So uh, yeah. most opinions say yes. One opinion brings up this idea, and uh, the idea is is that the source that tells us every every every, every obligation we must have a source. The source, one of the sources that tells us how to save people. Is vashevoso uh, lo, which is, means to return lost objects to someone. And if you have to return someone's iPhone that they lose, or they leave, at, you know, they leave at you know at the bar or at the coffee house to return it to them, how much more do so you have to return to them their life, right? But if someone willingly, knowingly leaves their iPhone on the floor and says, "I'm leaving it," whoever takes it, I don't care, right? 
then you're allowed to pick it up and keep it. You don't need to return to them. You only need to return someone a lost a lost object uh, if they if they unknowingly lost it. But if they knowingly lost it, you don't need to return to them. So someone says, "Hey, wait a minute! If the if the source why we have to save someone is because of returning the lost object, and a lost object we don't need to return if they knowingly lost it. So if someone jumps off the building and they're knowingly losing their life, maybe we don't. Well, yeah, I have a comment. We don't go with that, Eric. But I just, however, but the thing is, we are not objects. Yeah, life and is so not an even, I mean, you're 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 making the analogy. You don't like the obje- objectification of women? Is that what this uh, is about? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, exactly. Because the thing is, I object. <laughs> I mean, that doesn't. I mean, you're. That's what the analogy. Yeah, I, 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 I know. I just brought that up. I don't know why I brought it up because I was just talking to someone about. Oh, it's a good point. Though. Like, so the rabbi, like you mentioned euthanasia. The rabbi kind of killed himself in a way. Well, the rabbi and this guy also. This guy also right. Him. Very strange. So wait, 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 the rabbi. I don't know. The rabbi didn't. Well, the yeah. rabbi kind of agreed that the guy would expedite his death. Expedite his death. He was forcibly put with Torah around him and right. set on fire. Right, but the whole one that he's saying that he's an Asian, which is a whole other. Wait a second, he didn't, he didn't kill him. How, it's like, no, they, so he, he, he hastened his death. He Oh, he hastened his death by wow. putting this. Uh, and hastening, yeah, well, is hastening. Well, he knew he was going to be hastening murder. He was going to be killed anyway, so yes. how's he going to get messing it up for? It's a very good question. That's kind of how euthanasia is. You're going to die, you have this crazy, look like I see, this so you're going to raise your suffering. Is that how this works? You know, here, that's what I'm saying. I can't suffer through this. That's what we do. I guess so. It's like, true. You know, if you could go on and extrapolate that into so many different things because the thing is, DNR is you suppose that a person can do say, not resuscitate. Say, well, who's to say that a person? Huh? Really? Makes your life easier. Everyone should have a DNR. Okay. Not twenty-two-year-olds. No, no. But, Every ninety-five-year-old. When you're ninety, you should have a DNR. <laughs> Yeah, but there's your question. Some people say, hey, what is the halachic possibility of DNRs? I've spoken about this many times, about the halachic uh, perceptions of euthanasia. But this is one of the sources that one brings down. Um, this active and passive euthanasia used to be that in the hospitals, they didn't have, they had oxygen tanks uh, for the oxygen. Now it's just all through the building. They used to have oxygen tanks. They still do. Well, they don't have tanks in most, uh, it, you know, and they don't have tanks if you refill, like they're like propane tanks. Oh, they're, they do have the tanks, they just, they're on reserve. Yeah, like reserve, yeah, just, yeah, right. But it used to be, so it used to be that there was a question if someone was, uh, you know, in a vegetative state or in a coma, someone's going to die, someone's 100 years old, we're not allowed to kill them for sure, but do we, we don't need to take steps to keep them alive. So if their oxygen ran out, we don't need. We don't want to pull out their oxygen, but no oxygen, we don't have to refill. But I want to close. I think uh, the point that the point that I wanted to have tonight was a discussion, which I think we were successful in. But also, I think this 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 idea that generally there's a ground and pound. There's you know there's the grind in order to affect change. Occasionally, there's going to be some sort of opportunities that we have to just skyrocket to just to just you know take, you know take the rocket ship. And, and, and achieve you know things that we were not. I think it, it works like that probably in relationships as well. Relationships generally, there's that you know there's a grind, which I know it doesn't sound so romantic, but 
real relationships aren't romantic. Some say romantic, romance is part of a relationship, but it's not all that. And speak to anyone that you ever who's ever been in a relationship and ask them how long does the fairy tale romance last? It's somewhere between three to six months. That's how long it lasts. Right? That's it's you know across whatever knows that. There's the grind. You want to make it work? You got to grind it out. You got to work. You got to you know you got to struggle your way through it. Um, it's not depressing, but it's just reality. But I think that there might be some times where a couple or an individual could go through a situation or an event or an episode or something that could just take a you know a quantum leap in their relationship. I think it could happen. Um, as to whether or not we all have these opportunities, so I, I heard a story, um, the great Rabbi Moses Feinstein uh, of Blessed Memory. So he was the, okay, I spoke uh, last Wednesday, I spoke last Wednesday about um, abortion, abortion in Jewish law. It's available on my website at rabbiwalby.com. Highly advise anyone's interested in listening to the Jewish perspective on abortion, which may shock you. I think it actually might, because uh, we know Everyone has their opinion, pro-life, pro-choice, pro-this, pro-that, women's right to choose, life begins at conception, all these little phrases that are bouncing across our brains. And it's just, if you want to hear absolute clarity, you know, just, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. And I said there are no positions on my own. None, none of the positions I took were my own. I just, I just, I said, hey, what's the perspective? I said, it's ridiculous. Well, you know, there's been no progress on this, in this debate for years. You know, no one, no one, there's no, there's no, you know, working across the aisle, like no one reaches common ground because people talk in different languages, right? And uh, advisable to listen to RabbiOwe.com. Um, but I mentioned Rabbi Moses Feinstein, and I mentioned him here, him here again. So who was Rabbi Moses Feinstein? He was the number one halachic posek of the past hundred years. Uh, man of tremendous character and scholarly ability. I say, I say, you know, you Google him, read, read his Wikipedia pages, uh, etc. But he uh, was, you know, think think of him as the uh, as the Jewish Da Vinci of the past hundred years, like someone of just like, just a tremendous character and someone with tremendous clout and influence in the Jewish world. Uh, you know, he died on Purim. Which is a holiday, and there were hundred thousand people by his funeral in New York, in in Manhattan, and then they flew it to Israel. And there were two hundred and fifty thousand people that came to pay their respects to this uh, to the rabbi who died. Two means a quarter of a million people on Purim in Israel were uh, uh, just stopped their whole life and just went. He spent hours, you know, just to give you just a snapshot. Anyhow, so he once published an opinion about a certain matter and there was some other guy, some run-of-the-mill guy, you know, who considered himself to be someone worthy of arguing with him. He wrote a contrary opinion and belittled Rabbi Feinstein. Belittled Rabbi Feinstein. And then this person had the gall, had the gall, to come to Rabbi Feinstein and ask him for a letter of approbation for his book. Approbation. Approbation is like endorsement. But think, you know, think of it. Think of it. Someone, you know, you are the number one man. Someone belittles you. Someone, someone who's not worthy of being in the same sentence with you belittles you. And then they come to your house and say, "Oh, could you maybe write for me a letter? That I can put it in front of me, a forward to my book, endorsing me." And then uh, some people like were shocked by this person's call. And then Rabbi, Rabbi Feinstein writes this amazing letter, and he's yeah, saying that this guy. I don't understand why he wouldn't. You, you make it sound like 
He'd be little. He challenged. He'd be little. Oh, okay, whatever. This is the story. But, but, yeah. but, but think, no, think, think of it as, 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 yes, there's a challenge. But remember, we're not boxers here. Right. You know, there's a challenge with a certain modicum of respect. You know, you don't challenge the president, right? We do. You know? So you, you could challenge right? you could challenge a president, but you don't like challenge a president like you would challenge someone in a bar. There's a modicum of respect, right? There has to be. Yeah, that's a good oh, point. Sorry, no. There's a certain, no, there's there's a certain level of esteem that this guy had obviously earned. I know, I know, I know. I know. Like a judge? A judge. Think of a judge. You don't speak to them as gross. You know how we have pet peeves in you? That is a pet peeve of mine. Why? What did he do for me? That there was, was a certain respect. respect for the office of the president. Okay, we are. Are you only one? I don't agree. Okay. But, <laughs> you know, when you have someone who's someone who's you know who's who's a lot older than you, a lot smarter than you, a lot more accomplished than you, there's a certain modicum of respect that you should have. If you don't, anyhow. So he writes. Look at the point of the story. I wanted to say, and he writes this beautiful letter to him, and then his 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 people were like. Huh? And I, like, why did you do that? And he said, this, this, the, the, the Talmud says that it's possible to acquire your world in one, in one hour. And he said, I think this may be my one hour, my one opportunity to quote Jared. And what I took from that, the story, so the particulars of the story we can argue about, um, but what I took from it that it's possible that each one of us in our lives, in our relationships, in our business, in our, everything that we, every challenge, every area of our life, every, you know, we have lots of parts of our lives, you know, that there's lots of interplay. We have a career, family, right, responsibilities to ourselves, etc. But in all these areas, I think I think it's possible that we'll each have, every once in a while, this opportunity. And you can't script it. You don't know what it's going to be. But you'll have some sort of opportunity to, like, make a jump, make a leap, and have a tremendous accomplishment that could really, like, you know, just, you know, like, in one, like in one instant, one episode... You just made a tremendous change in, in who you are. Uh, and huh? you really don't know what's the last hour. You never, you never, ever have any idea what's the last hour. What, when you're going to die? I don't know, but I'm saying that you always kind of do this like that. Maybe that's, maybe that's well, the last hour. And, and that idea of, of constantly striving to do better. Maybe, maybe that's the last hour. Sure. Yeah, maybe uh, that's the last hour. Uh, the whole point of these stories is. You never know what your last hour is, uh-huh. so you always strive to. Hey, to I, I, does it have to be that you have to die? I don't know. It's it. It seems. <laughs> it seems. Yeah, because like you, you, you reach that moment, you, and you, you don't make the right you choice, you do the right thing, and boom. I'm dying now, whatever. Hang on, I'm ready. Come on, my God, was. You do it. You're like, okay. You know what's happening now? Where's the train? Where's the uh, where's the lightning? Where's the yeah. lightning? I mean, he was lucky that he was given at least an hour. Well, we have the Mishnah. The Mishnah, the Mishnah says in uh, chapters of the Fathers, he says, "Do tshuva, repent in the last day of your life." And the indication is, well, you don't know when the last day of life, so every day you should be living as if it's your last day. You know, uh, one of my one of my favorite uh, teachers. Uh, who um, someone asked him? He was someone who was like known for his like following a schedule, and he said, "Let's say you knew tomorrow was the last day, the day you're going to die, right? Let's say we asked a question on the table, like if you knew that tomorrow was the day, what would you do?" 
this is also a good question for discussion. But they said, he said, well, I would wake up and, you know, pray the morning prayers like I do every day. And then, like, go home and eat breakfast like I do every day. And he went through his whole daily schedule and says, I would do exactly what I do every day. Uh, yeah, and it's the kind of thing where, like, it, he, if you really live your life, like, really, you know, and I'll take my nap. He actually, <laughs> he actually knew you were spending this time with his family. Oh, why? What do you mean? It's all deadly. You're not going to be sitting going through all your daily goals and doing this and doing that. You're going to be like, oh, no, but that's... I should go see my family. No, 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 no. The reason why, okay. If we were to ask why, I know we're going overtime. I don't like going overtime. Um, the re- if we ask a question right now around the table, but I'm not going to do it unless you want, unless you want to. If we ask a question, if you knew tomorrow you're going to die, right? what would you do? What that does, the reason why it's such a fascinating question is because it awakens a certain part of our brain. And that part of our brain uh, is, is the priorities part of our brain. And then because we're about to die, suddenly this thing is awakened. For our whole life, our job is to try to tap into that part of our brain on a regular basis to live in accordance with your priorities, right? When we're faced with death, that's automatically awakened. And that's why we say, oh, if I'm about to die, I better go deal with my family and deal with the important things in life. But if you're someone who's really living with your priorities at all times, you don't, you don't need that light bulb to go on. It's on already. <laughs> we were talking about that patient who was extremely ill, suffering. But then, uh, I mean, so, I mean, if that person, I mean, does a person have an opportunity to alleviate his own suffering, for example, even though he may be suffering? Maybe if he doesn't have the opportunity to alleviate his suffering and he knows he's going to die. Is it going to affect his family, his extended family? Because it's see, we are not just committed to ourselves, but we are also responsible. We're also committed to our families too, and so what what, what we do to ourselves also affects others too. And so, but then 